What's happening, gang? Matt Martin here. This episode of Behind the Blade Podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Genda Industries. And I tell you what, I was cruising through Genda's website and I stumbled across a product. No, it's not a sharpening product for once, but I found the Genda Infantry Knife Roll. Now, this roll is designed to be used by chefs that want to transport their knives from home to kitchen safely. But I tell you what, after inspecting this product... I said, there are a lot of times that we all get together as knife nerds and we want to share our latest acquisitions or even our favorite pieces of our collection. And this would be an outstanding and safe way to transport those knives in an innocuous case that looks cool. This thing is made out of 16 ounce waxed canvas and genuine leather accents. It's got some utility pouches on it and it will hold up to 16 knives. That includes six small, six medium, and four large blades. So I recommend you go check it out. That's the Genda Infantry Knife Roll, wax canvas and leather over at gendaindustries.com. And please be sure to tell them that Behind the Blade sent you. Hello, you're listening to Behind the Blade Podcast, episode 47. My name is Jim Stewart, and the following is audio from our live stream on September 12th. So, if you haven't checked that out, you should definitely go to our Facebook page and give that a good listen. Without further ado, here's the show. I am here with you folks. All both of you. All both have? of yeah. you. Who do we have? Well, well, Excellent says seven. There it for is. For our live count right now. Sweet. <laughs> it's okay. Um, uh, what, was our, what was our view well, count last time? I have no idea, but yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. basically if I was a crazy person who turned around mm-hmm. at the Walmart customer service desk and started yelling stuff to the people waiting in line, <laughs> that is the exact same audience reach that we have at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy who does that right. feels supremely powerful. I was uh, <laughs> not impressed with this empty box of crackers. I would like my money back, please. So yeah, I think that's uh, where we're at. So that's fine. I do know that our last show was a, was actually a really big success. I would say mm-hmm. we got about five times the listenership in 24 hours yeah, yeah. oh, oh easily 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 um we uh we typically average and i don't know if i should go into the exact metrics or, or anything but after 24 hours we had 1400 views no that's crazy so yeah. so, so 24 hours 1400 views on the one live video just to facebook not counting whatever was posted on youtube not counting the podcast feed which is it which is its normal metric and then that was that was its normal engagement as usual, but uh, but we can tack Killer. on yeah. we can tack on these live views to it too that Facebook reports. Fun back. stuff. So yeah, so, thanks thanks gang for uh, following us through this little experiment. We're having a good time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, let's uh, do what video was meant to do. So, uh, Mr. Stewart, what are you carrying, sir? Well, let's see. I am uh, totally unprepared, so I'm just carrying my normal stuff today. I've got hold on, let's see. I've got the autofocus here. Hang on, wait a minute. Uh-huh. And how automatic that focus is. Zip right down. Look at that beautiful satin tiger lips finish. This is grunt number, if I flip it over, grunt number 478. Nice. From from Behemoth, black canvas micarta, flared pins, red liners, beautiful, beautiful finish. And this is my this is my my number one daily driver that matches with my other number one daily driver. The ULB. The ULB. Right? Oh, and nice. I've been I've actually been carrying this guy all week. So usually I'll switch off like oh, back and right. forth, but this guy I've been carrying all week and it is 
it is dull. Why? Because I use the crap out of it. <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's probably it's 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 a very cool knife. Very quick, very fast, very light. And as usual, I I, I shouldn't even show it, but I'm going to show it anyway. There it is. The Victorinox Swiss tool. I Most mean, hated. I wonder if you can wonder if you can see all the scratches in it. <laughs> over so the pretty. years it's so pretty it's, it's and gorgeous. ridiculous I looking i love yeah, this thing yeah. it's nice <laughs> quick it's light in the hand <laughs> <Boop>. <laughs> and uh that's all i'm carrying that's all i'm carrying today what i should do is i should grab one of these guys or <laughs> show them the, off, the yeah. halo of knives and show those guys off and and lie and just say just say, i've i've been carrying uh an open a meat this one yeah, the whole time <laughs> What are you carrying, good sir? Uh, I am carrying, uh, this was a gift from my lovely bride whilst at the Blade Show. It's my Father's Day gift this year. This is a Microtech, uh, Ultratech, Tonto. Ultratech, yeah. And yeah. I'm not like a big Tonto guy, typically. I mean, I was at one time. I think everybody was at one time, you know, around the 80s and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, I tell you what, uh, in the two-tone finish, this thing has just got some racy lines. I'll try to show them off to you guys there. Oh, it's and got that ever so slight upsweep to it. it it's does, got that sexy and it's got feel to it. Super fast action. It's really smooth yeah. and it's sharp. And to be quite honest, this is probably the sharpest Microtech I've ever received. Yeah, you know, no joke. I've had Marfion Customs. I've had a lot of uh, Ultratechs and Scarabs and everything else. And, and this thing was just out of the box, screaming sharp. Nice. So, yeah, really happy with it. It's murdered out. It's like black clip, black window breaker, black hardware. Um, very simple. It's an uncluttered uh talon which i right. like you know there's not like a lot of script or writing right here I, I really like just the simplicity behind it and uh this one is in uh 240p is that a blade steel 204p yeah that's uh that's uh oh, 204p 204p yeah. that's uh that's Dexic. uh pff, who is it from it's a i think it's an overseas mill or maybe it's carpenter maybe it was carpenter's version of m390 Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Really? Oh. oh, yeah. It's a version of M390. Oh, is that's what it cool. is. All so right. 204P's um, decent stuff. I, I'm really not a yeah. steel snob. So, so uh, but yeah, that, that's pretty sweet. So yeah. it's a good steel. All it's, right. a, it's a great steel for that knife. It's great. And it looks great with my uh, uh, Swiss Army knife. Uh, what is this? The Pioneer? That's the Pioneer, pioneer isn't yeah, it? Pioneer. Yeah, Pioneer. Not the Pioneer X with the scissors. Which right. I, <laughs> I think I'm going to use those scissors as leverage to get another. <laughs> pioneer i was like yes. well but, you know i and i really love the alox um line i don't know why i think it's just because i have a, a major thing for knurling and mm -hmm. uh the alox has that kind of checked aluminum scale to it yep. the one drawback is you you give up you sacrifice the uh tweezers and the what oh just show it up that's oh, all sure. yeah. you guys yeah. want to see the knife yeah, yeah just like, <laughs> me he's like he's like <laughs> Show the knife, and I'm like, you, it's, you it's want like, me it's to like, go in falsetto? Is that, is that like, do I need to go up a range? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, no. It's, it's just we're we're still new to the live stream, so it's like, so it's like yeah. everything, everything, everything you were holding is typically where you hold it at like your chest level, yeah, right, but it's like, right here, yeah. but it's like an inch below the frame. Yeah, if you so you guys like, only knew what I was actually doing. It looks like I'm rolling a J down here or something like that. But yeah. No, I'm just holding the knife. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I do think that I'm gonna use the scissors. I I want one in red. I want just classic red or knurled red like that. Uh, Alox in red. Yeah, nice. I, I want. Mm -hmm. I was like it was between the special edition olive drab that they had just released when I got this one, and I, I love green. I'm sorry about that, guys. Um, I've got a major thing for all things green, but uh, I, I said no. The black is just too cool for school. I'll show you guys. I'll just keep letting you look at it, and uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna hold it here while I talk to you, Joe. Okay, and, sounds good. And, uh, <laughs> but I think the more I think about it, I want to get uh, the Pioneer X with the scissors in red, mm -hmm. or the Farmer. I think that one has the saw. Yeah, the um, Farmer I think has the saw. Same one, same one on my on my uh, Swiss tool, right? Oh yeah, a lot of the multi tools. Yeah, do a, definitely. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go for it. Go right ahead. 
So there's the the saw on mine. I think comes pretty standard. And also, this one's just like the aggressive Swiss tool version. Yeah, yeah, which I which I really dig. I actually use it a lot. I, you know, I in my uh, experience, I like having one of these in my camp kitchen. And mm-hmm. so uh, Jenna carries an open L number eight in her camp kitchen. It's mm-hmm. really good for slicing meat. Um, I like having the Swiss Army knife in there because I can slice food. You can make tinder with the saw real easy. That'll take like a spark from a fire steel. Nice. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do that, obviously, but it's convenient to have something that also opens canned food, mm-hmm. opens bottles. It's just like a bar tool that fits right inside my little Swedish mess kit thing. Totally and, agree. And, uh, man, I love it. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And then uh, finally, the exciting one of today. Uh, this thing, a uh, funny story about this. So this is a 1950s. Randall model five, five, six, a six inch blade, single coil and guard. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of overworked look of the guard, big old fat solder mm-hmm. joint on there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it mm-hmm. takes a little bit of hunting through the books to be able to date these things. A lot has to do with the liners, um, and the thickness of the liners. Oh, really? Specifically. Y- yeah, yeah. Okay. And That's interesting. You could go mm-hmm. and the logo obviously is mm-hmm. another telltale. Um, but that and the sheath. So it's a hyzer sheath with a Brown button. Um, this actually came from, the the former North Star Trading Post, now the Mantuary, right? Re- Reed Reed collection mm-hmm. of vintage knives, and it was a really fun story that uh, uh, I think exemplifies really the knife culture and the knife collecting culture. So uh, this was a case of two friends of mine, uh, one being Jake Jakeway from uh, KME Sharpeners, KMESharp.com. There you go, guys. Free Ba-boom. plug on the video uh, from those got from Jake and Reed. Reed had this knife, and I really liked it. Uh, Jake kind of knew that I liked it and Jake came over one day to visit and he gets out of his truck and mm-hmm. from like 150 yards I dropped some expletives I was like what is on your on your hip on your blanking <laughs> hip and he's like you can see that from there I'm across the entire meadow <laughs> meanwhile and- you're you're like you're like you're like Jake I'm a knife guy. Yeah, yeah. Of course I can see it across the meadow. Dude, I know that knife. Yeah, and, and so, <laughs> that one's and easy. I, I've handled it so many times being like, this is going to be my Randall. You know, I've had a, a number of Randalls, but this one, I said, this is the one for me. And uh, so I ended up working out some horse trading between the two guys. But uh, it really was, it was like a mutual gift giving more than it was like a, a trade mm-hmm. of that type. So I don't know. Really cool. I, I've been carrying this. The reason I'm carrying it is I want a new sheath to preserve the original hyzer sheath. It's a little bit fragile in Mm -hmm. the retention strap. It's in good condition, but I don't want that to change just because I decided to take it out. To carry it, yeah, right. Um, Which I have taken this mushroom hunting number of times, taken it camping and everything like that. It's just a a killer knife. I really, what I want to do is I want to take this camping at Walloon Lake. Oh, really? Walloon Lake is where Bo Randall saw... Uh, Bill Skagel knife oh, yeah, being yeah. used on the boat. We and are in the correct state for that. That's right. It's, up, yeah, it's yeah. in Upper Michigan, not in the UP, right. but it is in Northern Michigan. So we Michigan. have to travel south to go to Upper Michigan. How far yeah. away from reality are we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, but I think that'd be fun to take a, a, an old 50s Randall knife back to Walloon Lake, the kind of genesis of the entire Randall story. So um, I have that. And this knife in particular just has that thing that knife lovers uh, understand, and that is what I like to call the Rambo effect. <laughs> you feel like you can do anything when you have this knife in your hand. Yeah, it's one thing when you when you grab a knife and it, uh, it you just have this intrinsic feeling that as soon as you pick it up, it becomes an extension of your hand and it touches your soul. It does, yeah. Will. Yeah, and you're yeah. just you're like, oh, I can do anything. I can build a shelter. I can tie it to a spear and stab a wild boar <laughs> if I was so inclined, which mm-hmm. I rarely am. Uh, yep. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> but if you had to, you could. I could you feel like you could. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Speaking of Rambo, cool. uh, 
Rambo Five: Last Blood. Last Blood is geriatric blood, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, this uh, this episode is not sponsored by uh, whatever the film's distribution. They should call is. it Rambo Five: Blood Transfusion. That's <laughs> that's what it should be, honestly. So hey, he's uh, no shot on Sly. You know, right. I, I'm a huge fan of the Rambo series for just obvious nostalgic reasons. Oh, yeah, everybody, everybody really got into that. I think that's something that we all have in common as knife makers is that is that 100 of the time you can go. How many people in here like Rambo when you're in a room full of knife guys? And we're all just like, you bet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Conan so, in the jungle, right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, so we're excited <laughs> about that. And we thought it would be kind of fun to touch on a little bit of the Rambo knife history. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, that is a series of knives that I haven't acquired yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a single I don't, Rambo I don't, knife. I don't have it either. I mean, I never we've seen have. them all. We know who made them. Yep. The, 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 the whole thing, the whole thing behind it. Um, I think my father met Gil Hibben. Oh, no kidding. I think my father met Gil Hibben, and I think he also met Jimmy Lyle. I don't know. Hot to talk I met to Gil at a Blade that. show, yeah. um, but I have not met – obviously, I can't at, at this point. I missed my window of opportunity to meet Jimmy Lyle. <laughs> um, so yeah. if you guys are wondering who we're talking about, these are the designers and makers of the Rambo Knives. So it all started in uh, – yeah, let's go ahead and pull – uh, Jim has put in immense work here. We have all yeah. kinds. So, yes, yeah, there immense we go. work. <laughs> there are the Rambo knives. Right so here. this is one through four, and uh, we'll just. This is so cool. I feel like John Madden. So this is going to be first blood. This is uh, what color is my ink going to be? I don't know. Find so out. This is number one. There, the green one. This is number two. My handwriting on a computer is terrible. I don't know why they did these out of order. This is three, and this is four. Just for the sake of continuity of what I'm about to discuss. So. Can they see the cursor or no? No, no, they can't see oh, the cursor. Oh, they can't. Okay. Nope. So nope. if you look at number one, that's going to be the first knife, and that was designed by Jimmy Lyle, and there were some changes from uh, First Blood to First Blood mm-hmm. Part 2, which yeah. the, the name is very convoluted, <laughs> and we all sound like six-year-olds because we just call them all Rambo. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like just, we did their job for them. Right. They knew that they could name it whatever. This was the yeah. only movie. Uh, number four was the only one that was actually called Rambo. So, right. Uh, First Blood is where the green, you know, hollow-handled knife came back, and that harkens back to the Randall Model 18. Yeah. Uh, we've covered that yes. before, hollow-handled survival knives, and they kind of took it to the next level. The The cross guard here in this area right here uh, is actually made up of a Phillips and flathead screwdriver just to add to its <laughs> utilitarian function. Um <laughs> Sorta. <laughs> I, uh, what kind of a screw? <laughs> what kind of a driver do you need? One to that put you want to see yeah. bleed. Yeah. So uh, it was just really cool. And then Jimmy Lyle amended the design, as you can see in uh, number two. So you're going to have a little bit of a difference up here in this clip. And I think the number of serrations changed too. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he went from 13 to 12, and it was symbolic of Ram- John Rambo's unit right. uh, uh, of. Let me get my math right on this. I don't remember the math on it. It was <laughs> it was however many guys were in his unit times the unit number. It, so it was a weird so thing he, that he had grabbed onto. Right. He just he decided to put his own little flair on it by adding a calculation. Yeah, it was kind of convoluted. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, that's interesting. I could see why a fictional character needs to be, you know, memorialized in the number of serrations of people in his in his team that didn't even exist. Right, his fictional character. Anyways, uh, Uh, kind of interesting, but not really. Side note, Mm -hmm. uh, you can tell that the blade's also heightened if you kind of look at this dimension. Yeah, it looks uh, definitely a little bit wider for sure. To this dimension here. You'll hear us reference this as blade height specifically, Mm -hmm. just so that we're all in the same uh, category. Uh, this would be blade. Oh, let's do it on a white. This would, I feel like John Madden. I love it. This would be blade <laughs> length. 
uh, and this this dimension would be blade height. Uh, so, and then we move on to Rambo three, and this is where Gil Hibben entered the picture. So mm-hmm. Jimmy Lyle was designing from, uh, 1982 to 1988, which is, uh, first blood one and two. And then when Gil Hibben got involved in 88, he stuck with it until 2008 in the big chopper. And there's a scene in Rambo four, um, where you see Rambo actually forging this big, uh, parang looking yep, thing. I remember. It's, it's, a, it's a, it's a coop coop. Coop coop. It's a coop yeah. coop. Yeah. What's the difference between a coop coop and a panga? Uh, I think I don't know. Is it spelling? Obviously, yeah, it's, other it's, than it's, that. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. But coop. No. Is that is that panga? I think I, it is. I don't know. Is I think it, it's a coop. Is it parang? No, no, no. Um, a parang it would be closer. They say they they both have the same type of dot point, but that the coop coop typically gets wider at the tip, and it's got that severe clip, kind of like our kind of like our Senegal. What does se- what does a parang do? Um, a parang, I think, is has a has a little bit more of a curve to the blade. Let's talk about something we know about. So, sure, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's move right on. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's a neat scene with him forging the knife out of like a propeller off a boat. That's and, exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that. Yeah. And, and it fit and it fit for the location. If you remember, it was like in the Philippines. Wasn't he, he was in Burma. Yeah, Burma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was, yeah I, I right. think it, it's not called Burma anymore. I don't think actually. Uh, we have the Vietnam era stuck in our head. So yeah, uh, yeah we're going to be talking about Rhodesia next. Yeah. Right. <laughs> not zimbabwe so, yeah. uh but uh yeah so that was kind of fun and then now we are adding a third generation in in the fifth title mm-hmm. which is uh deep mar poles contribution boom it's quite the departure i think yeah I, but this I, is this is a much more complicated knife oh. than than before especially especially the last knife because especially the last movie because the last movie he was in that area and he forged it himself and so it looked like something that he had made himself it, it got and rudimentary so, right so so um which which to me is like an extremely amateur filmmaker i really enjoy you know that kind of a continuity you know so it's so it's so it's it's pretty cool i mean you could it looked like a knife that he made out of parts that were there in that section of the air, section of the world. Totally. So, and, um, yeah, totally, absolutely fit. And I think in, in Rambo so. Five, to go back to this, he's in Mexico going up against the cartels, which is kind of fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how the knife steals the show. You know, us being knife guys, you love seeing that, and mm-hmm. you love <clears throat> seeing this unrealistic potential get realized. Well, and I don't know, it's just all part of the fantasy. Something tells me that he actually changes knives in the in the next movie, though. Because if you if you watch the trailer, you see him, it's older Stallone, coming down with the Rambo four knife. Oh, interesting. And then oh, you all think of a sudden, he acquires it. Yeah, like I, think, it's OSP? I, think he, I think he gets it later. Oh, and I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how. Obviously, the movie's not out yet. When's it coming out? Like um, the twentieth. <laughs> Eight days. Eight days. Eight yeah. days. Okay, so we'll be in the theater in eight days, and we'll have to report back. Yeah, I've started but... doing push-ups and stuff so that I can go in shirtless <laughs> with a red bandana and kind of cosplay it up. Pretty cool. That's... I got this really cool brown Sharpie to put some abs in. I'm going to look just like Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> if I did that, I would be the Peter Griffin Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, and uh, I, it, you know, you picture like a Comic Con type thing. Uh, Escanaba is not that. No, so, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you would just no. look like a lunatic uh, right. surrounded yeah. by lunatics in costumes. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's funny. Yeah. It's, uh, at at Comic Con, it's at least accepted that you know you know what you're doing when you dress when you when you're a fat dude and you dress as Sailor Moon. People, people understand that you're there and you know the joke. No. Up here, you I, I don't, I don't think, think it would I think work. understand's a pretty strong word to use here. <laughs> I think that is that's pushing it just a little bit. But uh, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, super right. exciting. Um, yeah. I, I do think that I'm going to start hunting down some Rambo knives. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I'll be completely honest, and no offense to Gil, I think he's one. Of, I mean, he's a, a Blade Magazine Cutlery Hall of Famer. Uh, so was Jimmy Lyle. Um, Gil's knives are very indicative of a time and place. But I like the first blood, the first two knives. Mm-hmm. You know, with the hollow handle, the whole yeah. thing. I, I like that. So <laughs> I'm going to start tracking those down, and I'll figure out which one to get. Um, the the one thing though that has kind of kind of kept me away from buying them is their united cutlery i'm not 17 and mm-hmm. i don't know kind of what standard the knives are made to and they're gonna hang on that's, the wall that's but a fair point yeah. i don't want to hang a 19 knife on the wall that i had to pay 150 dollars to get yeah and i think mm-hmm. that that question of standards kind of leads us to our next talking point which is uh-huh shop standards you like that yep. segue? yeah that i did was, i dude, did that was that was, airtight. That, yeah. was that was really good i mean i didn't even notice it that was like yeah. until you said the a... word and i went i went i went i went oh my oh nice went, job yeah wow okay there are flog, frog like, cloacas yeah, that it, aren't that tight yeah that was a good segue <laughs> <laughs> so shop standards guys um so at bark river we have we have standards that every knife goes through every knife gets edge checked three or four times we have different places for that when when uh when knives uh leave the grinding room and they go into uh polishing <laughs> when they leave the grinding room, <laughs> when they leave the grinding room and they go into uh, to to part marking, it's part marking and cleaning. They're all quantified. Everything's written down the you know the time that it's delivered, all that stuff. And then once it hits that inspection room, game's on for all sorts of different things. So all the girls in the back um, are trained to look for very very um, very key issues first, and then secondary issues later. Okay. So the key issues that we always look for first is is it sharp? So every everything and everything that's delivered in the tray that we bring up gets checked for sharpness. It has to be sharp. It has to shave paper, and it can't just be like a jagged kind of a kind of a kind of a thing. It has to it has to be a whisper through the through the paper. That's actually the key word that we use is that it sounds like a whisper. And if you can't hear it at all, the edge is too thin, and you need to send it back. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's uh, and I'll, I'll do that by checking hair. If it if it shaves hair at the right at the right place at the right speed at the right cleanliness, then it's sharp. But if it's too clean, I actually have to start you know maybe flexing the edge and seeing if it's too thin. You know because that's a danger that we run into all the time is that we constantly skate. And when you say but, flexing the edge, you can demonstrate on. Oh this. Yeah, it yeah. Will not do it. it but it maybe they can it. understand. So, and we can take advantage of this so video. So let's thing. see if I have. Uh, see if I have. <clears throat> see if I have something here. So imagine this was like the edge of a counter or something. You would take your knife and you would watch the edge bend. And if you can do it with any sort of ease, as you see, see the contact area that I've got here, if you can put that edge against there and then, and, then, and then push down and lift up the spine at the same time, if your edge flexes like a significant amount, like more than a 32nd of an inch. Oh, that's, that's real you know, significant. That, yeah. That's thin. That's right. thin. That's thin for our standards. So that's, that's something that we... That's a, it's a constant fight. Yeah, this this does become a part of your soul. Oh, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. This is cool. you. you want a bandana? <laughs> <laughs> Only if it's red. <laughs> so um, everything becomes a whisper right there. Um, so so we check for too thick, too thin at that point, we, and then we and then we move on to the actual finish of the knives itself. Is it choppy? Is it just right? Is it even? So how do you, you check know? your your? We're talking about surface finish, right? Uh, yeah, the surface finish of the the final satin. Okay, so yeah. how? how what is the visual standard like because to be in, in manufacturing you actually have surface finish gauges oh yeah and, and it's yeah, based absolutely. on like how much light reflects back under certain conditions oh, man, and everything i, I wish get, we had enough money to buy one of those well and to be honest <laughs> we don't need yeah. it because mm-hmm. it's not needing to 
do it doesn't need to maintain the same properties than mm -hmm. something with a high surface finish and manufacturing like a mold think of like an right. injection mold yes, it has absolutely. to have a very specific surface finish mm -hmm. so how do you guys check your surface finish well it usually is just visually okay just just visually surface checking the finish we just take the knife and we look at it we 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 see uh, we see if there are any high or low spots um any black marks on it if it's if it's too highly polished on a steel that's very abrasion resistant it'll actually turn black right like in between all the scratches and like your 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 points of brightness will actually be the scratches themselves as they go down so as you, as you know we finish our knives to two forty and then we sat and glow them out um and and the satin glow usually does a very good job of covering that but if the scratches are too deep like if the grinding guys didn't um grind out enough of the scratches to, a latent 120 a latent scratch, 120 scratch. A latent 60 grit. right well, well it wouldn't be just one say there was a patch hmm. of scratches it would uh, would be would be um pretty pretty typical of us we stop everything go back and go you gotta 240 this again you gotta get those scratches out this uh it, it just does not fit it doesn't work gotcha. um so we just check for surface we, we just check for evenness across there and then the if you think of a buffing wheel as it turns i'm thinking okay. of a buffing wheel and then it has the abrasive compound on it and as you bring the knife across, it's spinning at um, thirty four hundred RPM. Well, initially, yeah, and then it goes down to eighteen. Okay, right. It goes down to eighteen for a final for a final finish. As you bring the knife across, that's going to spin so many. That's going to spin a number of times, and it'll leave little up and down lines. That'll that'll be very very faint. It'll be on the surface. It's easily scratched. It's easily marred. Like if you were to take a paperclip and drag a sharp paperclip across there, it'll 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 interfere with that. You'll be able to see that. But um, as that's happening, that those lines should be evenly spaced. And they should be in one direction from the front of the handle, from the front of the handle all the way to the tip. There you go. And and then also, uh, danger of that is spillover onto the spine. So you'll have like the fuzzies come up over the spine here. And then the same thing if you're doing the spine, you'll have fuzzies come down to the side of the blade. And you have to you, you have to watch for that and just make sure that all of that is nice and congruent and even and all it takes is a sealed hand. Oh yeah, all you have to do is watch to like sixteen it. points of contact and, and you should be able to get a nice <laughs> even yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um so we go from that to checking whether or not there's a tip, and then uh, we do the same kind of uh, scratch checking on the handles itself. Um we check for congruency between the tang and the handle material because we have all of that, we blend all that together in one smooth thing. You shouldn't feel anything. Right. When when it comes on, the pins shouldn't be raised, the tang shouldn't be raised, the, it should be an even transition to the guard if there is one, et cetera, et cetera. So um, everybody is taught those basic points. We have a list of them, actually, and, and it's almost like a checklist. Um, and then you can just start at the top, and it covers everything that I've said. Covers everything that I've said all the way down through symmetry of the handle and um, whether or not whether or not the uh, the edges are broken, you know, enough or at all. Um, and then all that depends on the model and the standards we have in time. But there's a certain set standards that we enforce and have in the shop. Uh, grind lines, make sure they're within parameter. You know, right. um, all of that, all of that stuff. Um, so that stuff is checked and double checked. And if there's a problem, it goes back marked in its own tray, and and they get fixed. And everybody in a shop in the shop knows that as soon as they see the orange tag on on our on our on our knives as they come back, they stop what they're doing. If it's relevant to their section, they stop what they're doing and they immediately go over and fix it and then turn it right around. There you go. So those that's basically what we have in like a nutshell at, uh, at, at Bark River. It makes total sense. So And it has to do with the standard, right? Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. And, and everybody has their standard, their acceptable parameters, whether it's deviation of grind lines or whether it's um, the uh, acute eye looking at the satin job or all the scratches yeah. going in the right direction. Are they even? Are they mm -hmm. homogenous? It, it, it has to do with that standard. And that standard is what makes the brand, in my opinion. 
Um, we put a lot of work into our knives to make sure that they meet our standard, our specific right. standard. Mm -hmm. And we have the same thing. We have, I want to say it's like 26 points mm -hmm. um, on a checklist that Jenna has memorized now, but I make sure that uh, we have a, an, uh, what would you call it? Um, what would uh, you call that? And would it be an arbitrary eye? What would be an out? Just a, a artistic, no. artistic. No, um, we like a third party. She didn't make oh, the objective. 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 I, yeah. I don't know why I hung yep. up in the A's. Uh, yeah, it's uh, that's mm -hmm. as far as I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start here. Um, we have to have an objective eye that didn't make the knife because things that were bothering me, she may not notice. Mm -hmm. And it's not like we're trying to fly flaws under the radar. It's just that you can, when you're looking at something so close up all day long. You can get really hung up in the minutia and you, you then lose sight of the whole thing. So Absolutely. when it gets to my liking, if there's something that's bugging me, I'll wait to see if Jenna kicks it back to see if it's actually even exists or if mm -hmm. I'm just geeking out because I'm too close to it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but that's really helpful. And then sometimes she sees stuff. I mean, she... I think she gets too much pleasure out of kicking knives back when she does, and we get to experience that all the time. But uh, uh -huh. yeah, so that's uh -huh. one of those yeah. things. But today, and the reason that we've gathered you here today to discuss standards is I very, very rarely scrap knives, and today it happened. So, and, and I just want to kind of back Matt's point up. I've never seen Matt scrap a knife. Not once in the entire time that I've known him. It's not common. Yeah. It doesn't work. Mm. And it's not saying that I get it perfect the first time every time. It just means that there's usually something that I can recover, you know, whatever the problem is. Maybe I can deepen a swedge grind to get away from a mm -hmm. weird spot. Whatever it is that I can save that knife to maintain our shop standard, right? Well, in this case... And this is going to be kind of a, a two point. This is going to kind of meld into a little bit of a tech tip uh, for you guys that do guards or bolsters or anything of the like, um, even on handles. I mean, this, this applies to everything, but uh, every time you're going to be drilling something, what happened to me today, Jim, can you get, so I'm working on a small batch of uh, our Mac V SOGs and these are not swedged yet because I find, you know, and I'm hoping that having this contact area up here, let me put my cigarette down, uh, having this contact area up here is going to make it easier on the quench plates when I put it in to mm -hmm. maintain flatness without having to jump that diamond cross section around. Now, That's not something that I would have thought of as smart. So yeah. and swedges mm -hmm. are easy enough to yep. cut in hardened. So why oh, not yeah. take out the grunt work here? I have it up to um, like a 2000 grit finish. The satin on here, just to show you guys are, you know, kind of, this is our satin pre-polished. I think I can actually, oh, Jim, you want to cut yeah. to you? Yeah, there we go. So that's just a, a basic satin. Maybe back it off a little bit. Good God. Um, yeah, so that's just satin right now getting ready to move to hand sanding up to a mirror polish. This customer has requested a mirror polish on this knife. Uh, there's a rough mirror polish on the reverse side. And I kind of jumped around because I'm working on several of them. And I said, okay, well, I'm running out of time. I need to get these things in the oven. Um, and I went to go drill the guards because those guards, here, I'll take that back so I can give a demo on this. Because the guards are pinned in place. I can't drill through the hardened stock at full hardness. Um, maybe I could with the carbide, but I'm just not going to screw with that. So I do it. Yeah, after breaking two or three carbides, maybe. I mean, yeah, yeah doing you know it soft I mean? makes sense. Yeah. So I'm just going to work with this knife in the uh, soft state until heat treat and then go through and do the final polish. Well, in doing that, where's my guard at? Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, in this case, it's nickel silver guard. That's what the customer requested. Uh, I think you guys can see there's some layout lines so I can find center on there. And that is for my uh, sculpting when I go to put the radius into the guard. And, you know, there's a lot of work 
that went into this blank and there's a lot of work that even just went into this guard. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys can pick it up. You can see some odd, you know, reflectivity uh, or reflection, I guess, in those areas. Those are hand filed to match these radii because I don't believe in sharp angles, you know, anywhere that there's a transition because that's going to be a stress riser and a point where the knife can break under hard use. Um, you know, we've seen it in knives. I mean, you look at production knives where they stamp them out and that is mm -hmm. primarily what you're going to see on the, oh, my knife broke. You know what I mean? Yeah, it'll, it'll be right at the, one of those points. It's always at it's one always, of those spots yeah. or uh, an unchamfered um, hole, through hole. It's been drilled that has not had the edge and you can see that highlight in there. So an unchamfered hole will yep. also create a stress mm -hmm. riser. Um, so in this case, I'll be damned. All this time, all this effort went into this, and I made one of the most rookie mistakes of all time, and that is not replacing my drill bit. I use a 330 seconds drill bit, um, and then I, I typically, uh, because I'm pretty proud of how these come out, I drop in dissimilar pins. So on a mm -hmm. nickel silver guard, I'll actually use brass pins. Yep. It's just my own flair. And it looks great. It does. It looks good. I know some people like their pins mm -hmm. to be invisible. I like people to see that I took the care to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's just why I do it that way. Well, in this case, Jim, because you have the autofocus, do you mind showing off the backside of that, the non-blue side? So flip it around. So there's the blue side. Yep, there's right. the blue side. And then on the back there, that's our fatal flaw. So there it is. And to make matters worse... This particular knife, I know for a fact that my customer is a former tool and die maker. Uh, he was a mold maker. Uh, uh, this guy has got a machinist eye of machinist eyes, and there is absolutely no way that I could be proud to send him that knife knowing that that pin thin-walled essentially on the top side of the reverse of the guard. Well, the holes are located in the tang, so that's it. Mm -hmm. That knife is dead. So what I'll probably end up doing is we have a, a program in our group that we call Barter Town, and it's for flawed knives where we get to ship those out and trade them for something, and everyone's well aware of what's going on. It gives people a chance to get a vehement knife that, you know, otherwise they wouldn't be able to purchase or afford. Um, so that's what we're going to do with this knife. It was really sad, but to get to the technical side of it, um, I jig it up in a machinist vise. You know, it's a, a very square vise. It's an old Kurt. And I check everything for flatness, make sure the vise is trammed in, make sure everything's good. I do my layout lines with the height gauge. I use an automatic center punch um, to give my location points. And everything is going hunky-dory. But when you use a dull bit, what happens is you have to impart pressure greater than what that bit can cut and consume that material, sending the chips up through the spirals. Mm -hmm. And that causes those narrow bits to deflect. So as it's relaxing and finding its own home, instead of going perpendicular to the part, it's actually now pushing and like burrowing a hole on yep. an oblique. And that is what causes that blowout because it's going through three quarters of an inch of travel. So it's that minute of angle concept. You know, mm -hmm. when you're shooting a little bit of adjustment here results in a much, sorry about that, results in a much larger adjustment as it, as it on its trajectory, right? So, yep. and I'm not an engineer, I'm not even a machinist. I just happen to have a mill. Uh, but that is the concept in a nutshell. So if there's anything I could recommend, or if you're experiencing this problem yourself, check your tool holding. I mean, that's usually the first place you want to go to is check your work holding. Is everything nice and secure? Is it stable? Is it perpendicular when it needs to be perpendicular? Is it parallel when it needs to be parallel? And then are your cutters in good working order? That was a dull drill bit that just cost me a lot of money. That was a $4 drill bit that just cost me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So I'm really upset about that. 
and it kind of touched on both, okay. both. I know we'll be, okay, but I have to start from scratch. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? So, I know. I know. But that, that is mm -hmm. kind of both mm -hmm. topics. Why we, where we discussed them with standards are important and knowing when, look, there's always going to be flaws on your knives. I mean, if you're hand making a knife there, if Buster Warinsky had flaws on his knives, we just have to have a really keyed eye to be able to see him. Bob Loveless had flaws on his knives. Hell, I'm pretty hard pressed to find one on Tom's knives, but uh, you can still tell that they're made by hand. <laughs> Um, you know what I mean? It's we're hand making a knife and there should be that kind of Easter egg hunt, at least in my mind, that when the customer gets it, they go, man, this looks machine made. There's no way he did this by hand. And then he finds that little inclusion that adds the legitimacy to a, a real, I almost dropped an F bomb, uh, to a real diamond. You know what I mean? There is that, that proof that it was kind of organically created and not just stamped out of a machine. So I don't mind that. But it's when it really starts violating our standards or when these flaws start stacking. Man, a little bit of a glue seam once in a while on a liner. I and mean, people can say, oh, I would never accept that. BS. Yeah, you do. You do all the time. Trust me, I see it on knives all the time. We put a lot of effort into making sure that you don't ever see it. But even on some of the finest knives I've ever held, there's that one little thing because mm -hmm. it was made one at a time i mean even yeah. in a batch that was still handled one at a time it wasn't a yep. robot coming in and doing it it was just the next knife at that stage in that line and that's, that's part of the yeah. soul of it that's all. part of yeah you know what i yep. mean and mm -hmm. it should be a surprise to you when you discover it so not not an expectation like oh this thing's a piece of garbage look at it's got gaps it's crooked this that the other thing you know but uh so but when it really violates our standard that's when we have to pull the plug call a time of death and start all over again. Yep. And and that's kind of what's going on in, in my world right now. And I think it's important both from a technical side, if you guys are experiencing the same problem when you're drilling scales, bolsters, or guards, um, then check your work holding, number one. Number two, check the sharpness and you know, functionality of your cutters, uh, as well as your, uh, your table. If it's a drill press table, make sure that that's trammed in and make sure that that's level and perpendicular to the quill and spindle itself. Um, if it's you know, if everything's tight and right and you're feeling really good about what you're about to do and there's no daylight between the jaws of vice, everything's just right. And you're like, I feel like I'm pushing a little harder than normal. Well, you have a dull cutter and that dull cutter is going to violate not just your in-house standards, but I would say uh, a universally acceptable visual standard where it's like, uh, you know, wall <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's not good. No. So, not. yeah. So that's mm -hmm. where we draw the line as mm -hmm. far as that goes. Um I think can we do breaks in this? Is that is that work on the we podcast? We can we can absolutely do breaks in okay. this because yeah. this is a live stream. Um, and then for the uh, for the live audio listeners, I will just edit out the part. Perfect. And so I'm going to go back to the splash, and we'll take a couple minutes. All we're going to do is uh, mm -hmm. kind of queue up uh, the Q and A's real quick, yep. just mm -hmm. so that we can get back. We have a lot of questions to answer, and I'm super excited. There's some really good ones in there, and I'm kind of chomping at the bit or champing at the bit if champing you're super particular. Yeah. Um, not not because I don't know how to say it. Guess what else? I also say Jim Bowie. So put that in your pipe. <laughs> Okay, we'll be back in just a minute. Oh, it's recording now. That's why we're all nodding back and forth. Okay, good. I got to tell you, Jim, my favorite season of the year is fall. I think the weather is perfect for outdoor activities. It's cool enough to throw a jacket on. Nice to sit around a campfire with friends and knock a few back. I was uh, just telling a friend that the transitional seasons are the most relaxing because, you know, you're not too worried about the weather and any extreme temperature. It's it. just, it's just, you can just go outside and enjoy yourself. They're not extremes. It's, yep. the, it's the, the moderate seasons, yeah. as I call them. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that comes with fall is hunting season. Yes. And specifically 
bow hunting season. Yeah. Right? So when it comes to bow hunting season, you want to make sure your broadheads are razor sharp. And believe it or not, sharp broadheads is where our friends at KME Sharpeners got their start. The whole guided sharpening system came from a device that they created and invented to sharpen broadheads and that eventually led to knives and everything scissors and axes and every other specialized piece of equipment that they've attached to their system so if you want to have the sharpest broadheads in the field go visit our friends over at kmesharp.com and please be sure to tell them behind the blade sent you you're listening to Behind the Blade Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to rate us on iTunes or wherever else you listen to your podcast. On with the show. And we are back. Because, uh, you know, we don't have transitions. <laughs> so we just do jump cuts yeah. and then turn our mics on. So here we are. We're back. And we're ready to answer you guys' Q&As. We posted up this question box a couple of weeks ago now. And uh, and, and and you guys you guys really kind of pulled through on us. There are 35 comments on here. That are very easily, very well. I shouldn't say all of them easily answered, but because we haven't read them, so we're gonna find out. All right, Matt, you want to lead us off? Yeah, sure. This is from Chad Rennie. I have a Buck Cesar folder. It's in 154 cm. It is the best steel I've ever had on a knife. Even better than some of my quote unquote super steel knives. My question is, excuse me, he didn't actually say that. Uh, <laughs> if this is the steel itself or the Boz heat treat, and he's talking about Paul Boz there uh, from Buck Knives, legendary heat treat. The amazing heat treat, yeah, actually. Yeah. Probably the best in the business. Yeah. Uh, my question is, uh, if the steel itself or the heat treat, let's see, edge retention is unreal and I can get it unbelievably sharp, am I and, and I am typically not the greatest at getting the perfect edge. Um, well, let, let's kind of work this backwards. You're not mm -hmm. typically good at sharpening, but in this case, you seem to have struck gold, yep. which tells me that it's probably more blade geometry than anything else because yeah. you're not rocking and creating <clears throat> kind of that apple. I would grind. say experience has finally come to your aid. Good mm -hmm. sir, is 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 exactly where I would I would put it. I mean, like a practice makes perfect, and here here you are. Yeah, exactly. So you know, good job. Now, as we let's work backwards to the rest of the question. Sure. There's other uh, there's other possibilities. Too, is it the sure, heat yeah. treat of the steel? It's both. I mean, yeah, let's be no, honest. it's it's always it's always yeah a good edge a good edge is always um, geometry and heat treat. Period. I mean, like a heat treat will determine how how hard it is to sharpen and how long that edge will last once you get it on there. And the, and, and um, the fire and, triangle is is material yep, geometry yep. heat treat. Yes, Th those yeah. three things are what make a good knife. No, it's it's your perfect it's your perfect trinity of those three together in varying degrees, and you're always going to sacrifice one to gain another, and back and forth. And there's tons of debates about that, but you still have it. And so, and so it's always something to consider and different steels have different, different recipes. I just so. liberated the piece of cheeseburger that was stuck in my teeth for the entire episode. And that was also the primary reason for wanting to take a break so that I could go mining for gold in there and just <laughs> digging around with a toothpick to try to get it. And it turns out I was yeah. one swig of beer and a swish away from dislodging it <laughs> from its Denton tomb. Yeah, it was terrible. I, I, don't, so. I don't recall seeing that question on here, Matt. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Get back <laughs> yeah. on topic, I guess. Yeah. Um, and also, Chad, one thing to remember is that uh, 154 CM at one time was not just a super steel; it was the super yeah, steel. It was. It was uh, your your what was um, your Scrooge McDuck bank vault of gold of of steel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it yeah. was it was the uh, top of the food chain. And to this day, I use CPM 154 now, but I've worked 154 CM. Um, the only difference being that one's a, you know, powdered metal, metallurgy versus yep. sintered, I guess. Or yeah, cast. no, that's yeah. exactly one spray um, form. One's regular, one's yeah. regular rolled and the other one's just spray form. So, so, I mean, and you know, we, we do 
pretty high performing knives in my opinion if uh, if i could think of a better way to do it i would you know there are more expensive steels but i do feel like they're diminishing returns at some point um so you've got your hands on uh, a, a super steel for all intents and purposes and you've also got it heat treated under the uh advice of the world's greatest heat treat aficionado and yeah no joke i mean like when we say legendary we mean that we don't say that lightly no yeah we really don't say that lightly and you've got now a newly uh exemplified but long accrued skill and sharpening and good edge geometry so Mm -hmm. it's like that you have it all right now so i'm glad you have that knife i'm glad you're enjoying it and i think the thing is uh, from here on out is look for edge geometry and uh look for reliable heat treat it doesn't all have to be done by paul it doesn't all have to be done by buck you just need to find you know good reliable heat treat good edge geometry and the skill is on your shoulders from here out so uh next question this is renee mathis renee how's it going hello jim and matt i would be interested in your thoughts and interest in forging blacks or slash blacksmithing i'm well aware that the modern powder modern powder metallurgy there is no need per se for forging but for conventional steels and for craftsmanship's sake Oh, there's a lot of words here, Renee. Hang on a second. It might be plausible, <laughs> meaningful, required, interesting, challenging, appealing, etc. Um, can you share your thoughts, experience, and knowledge regarding performance for the type of knife nuts that don't really use their knives like rented mules? It only matters in theory anyway. Still, the steel, the capability, the tool, even in theory, is central. Uh, how do you stack up high-end Bark River blades against a Handforge FS1 from Murray Carter? would the performance be different all right so there's a lot of mm-hmm. lot, a, of, a lot of points lot of to hit here there. Yeah. all right so jim what so, are your, what's your stance on forging so um forging and i think we've covered this before we've said it a few different ways but um forging is the process on how you get the initial blank before you start more stock removal there's some truth in that for sure so so um and i'm not i'm not denigrating blacksmithing or forging hmm. by any means by saying that it's simply a method to get your initial blank and um it's not something that i found uh to be necessary also i grew up where we never but forged I, anything but i think but, i think renee's trying to touch but, on like is the spirit of it can, yeah, can you yeah, see okay, yourself yeah. ever experimenting even at a dude ranch could you see yourself Absolutely. experimenting and getting caught up in the moment of blacksmithing i mean this timeless art we're we're part of the oldest the third mm-hmm. oldest profession in the world it's, it's very true i mean and blacksmithing is uh has a has as deeper roots than knife making i right. mean knife making is a facet of blacksmithing it is i mean so um getting smelting your own steel getting 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 your uh getting your ingot ready um forging it out to shape a specific shape and the the path you take to get there by taking that by uh by by basically playing with play-doh and right. and shaping a thing a certain way to get a result to achieve a purpose i think i think there's a lot of art behind something like that i Absolutely. really do i really think there's a lot of art behind that i think it's very elegant i think it's relaxing you're hitting something with a hammer all day not I mean, just your kids not just your yeah. kids with a ha- wait with a hammer <laughs> 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 so um um as far as uh as far as just um blacksmithing goes i think it's very cool it's something that i would absolutely love to learn how to do there's lots of especially with more modern techniques now and uh and stuff like powder 1095 to do um oh wow to do um um case damascus or uh what's it called i the word left me i just had it in my brain i never had it so but it's it's like it's like they take it they take a cube of 1095 that's hollow and they they put they put different types of steel in there and then fill it up with powder 1095 steel and they they case forge it all down together in one thing and it creates really really interesting patterns and stuff like that um 
Um, so there's lots and lots and lots of money and lots and lots and lots of uh, a talent and imagination when it comes to how to do stuff like that, like uh, making a feather versus a twist Damascus, right. making raindrop, uh, making a ladder, um, oh, and or any combination therein um, is all very interesting stuff, and it's definitely its own art form for sure. So as far as uh, as far as um, performance though, um, if I were to make a knife out of 1095 and you were to forge a knife out of 1095. And it was, let's say it was the same pattern. We're going for the exact same pattern. Right, I give you a blueprint. Test. I take the same blueprint. I apply stock removal to that print. You apply forging to that print. And we both come a week later and we compare our knives. Yeah, it, and, and let's say let's say even that they're both heat treated exactly the same. They're both heat treated together in the same oven at the same time. Uh, you're not going to see a difference. No. Yeah, you, I don't think you're, you, so. Where I would see a difference, mm -hmm. uh, a practical difference between uh, stock removal and forging is uh, a distal taper forward of the guard. Now, oh, yeah, it, you it could definitely can, do that on, uh, it, on forging, yeah, for it, sure. It can, mm -hmm. And it can be achieved in stock removal too, yeah. but it's a little bit more of a natural process. And what I'm talking about is that is a reduction in thickness, in stock thickness, from this point to this point. And a lot of people, uh, especially, which is, it's ironic, I'm holding a Randall, which was forged, um, <laughs> yeah. loosely, a, a lot of that can be imparted with the addition of a well-crafted swedge. Mm -hmm. It can be imparted with the height of your grind as it, I got to learn how to do this camera, it's as, it, backwards, as yeah. it moves forward, this is going to create a taper this way also. So there's a lot of ways to take a lot of the bulk and kind of obtuse you know, clumsiness out of the tip end of the knife itself. And that is something that comes very naturally in forging that takes uh, a lot of concentrated practice and effort um, on the platen. I can totally I mean? agree with that. So I can 100% agree with that. That yeah, would be, sure. that would be yeah. a, a primary benefit that I would see outside of just the, the artistic and kind of, uh, you know, possibly even cathartic. You go out mm -hmm. and you have to go and you collect your coal and your Coke and get it all stoked up. And then you have this mm -hmm. long process. Yep. Um, so I, I, I think it's just, I think certain knife makers get attracted to a certain method and I think they each kind of have their benefits. I think one is more in the esoteric spectrum and mm -hmm. that's just my personal belief. And obviously I chose uh, stock removal and I've done some bladesmithing. I would like to do more as a hobby and for fun. And I have a forge in my shop. Mm -hmm. We use it for making stuff in the shop, you know, bending metal sure. or uh, creating, you know, tabs on something that we want to have a pivot or whatever. You know, I use the forge. I you don't just, have a... You just grab your steel out and you just make it. Yeah, right? just you make just shape it. it. Whatever right? it takes yeah, to manipulate absolutely. the steel, mm -hmm. that, then no holds barred you know yeah. what i mean but i think when you settle into a groove of this is my preference then it's exactly that it's a preference yeah yeah it's just a preference yeah at that point and then uh let's see so, how do you stack up high-end bark river blade against uh hand forge fs1 from murray carter would the performance be different well i mean murray carter mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. his stuff is really in the kitchen more than anywhere yeah. else right yeah i mean, yeah, I, mean he, I mean there there's some hard is, use i'm gonna pull up an fs yeah, there there's some hard use um there's some hard use videos out there of people really using and abusing uh, Murray Carter knives, and they held up just fine. I mean, there's no problem with that. Um, our edges are going to last longer. I mean, just because of the steel that we use. I mean, and and that's really the difference. It has nothing to do with really forging, or or it's just the material. It's, it's just it's just the material that we use. Uh, it's going to be more abrasion resistant. It's going to be some. It's going to be stain resistant. It's going to hold the edge longer. 
I mean, that's just the category of steel that we use. And and, and Murray and, puts a lot of work into his edge geometry. And they look good. They yeah. do. They look good and they perform very well. I mean, I'd, I'd never, I'd never speak out against that because they're genuinely good knives. Yeah. They're just made the way they're just made the way they are, and that's not a negative. That's a preference. And we make knives the way we do. That's just a preference. I think it's apples to apples so, in that category. Yeah. You know, is it Granny Smith or Golden Delicious? You know, it's just which one do you prefer? Can yeah. you taste the difference if they're both baked in the same pie? Right. You know? Absolutely. So, so uh, let's see. Alex Harrison, I noticed similarity between the Kudo Mesa and the BRK Sandstorm. As designers, do the two of you believe they occupy the same niche? And can you define the purpose of a five to six inch guarded field knife? Um, so again, I'm going to answer this one in reverse. Uh, a five inch guarded field knife is my 100% preference overall. I mean, that is where um, the five to six inch range, I I, I just like it. I mean, I, I carry and field regularly a Felkneven Fel, uh, S1. Yeah, right, a, which, is, which is in that same range. It's a five-inch guarded field it, 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 it even has a self-guard. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So exactly. it's absolutely. So. And, and that, again, is preference. Some people have very small knives. I mean, you look at the Morris Kahansky knife that he designed that has been what has been known as the iconic bushcraft knife. Yep. The, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of the, oh, my goodness, I can't think of his name. The guy who makes the... Um, it's got a flat steel pommel. It's a small scandy ground blade. Uh, Skook and Bush tool. Yes, Skook and Bush tool yep. is the Morris mm -hmm. Kohansky knife, right? Yep. So that is the, you look at the Bush lore. That's mm -hmm. another one. I, you know what? I've, I've worked in Arctic conditions, you know, not because, well, I've done it because I've had to, but I've also done it just for sport and fun. And I like having a guard when I'm cold. When I'm at altitude of eleven thousand feet, you know, camping at zero yeah, degrees. Yeah. yeah, I imagine I imagine I imagine deft handwork is something that's few and far between. Everything you know, kind of slows every, down. because because you can't feel your fingers. Right. So I mean you're you're kind of relying on that on, on something to kind of interrupt your hand and from not getting cut on the guard when you're using the blade. Springtime you know? Instagram bushcrafters mm -hmm. don't need a guard, but I can tell you what, you're up in the Rocky Mountains and you're freezing your butt off. Yeah. And you're a little bit delusional mm -hmm. and you're tired and you're trying to make a life saving fire you're going to want something that's going to protect your hand because there is no airlift on the way. There right. is no hospital yeah. just around the corner from yeah. the park. Like, mm -hmm. and so I like having that layer of protection. Now a double quillion guard, I can tell you right now, the Kudo Misa was designed very specifically for an organization that travels. It's a rivers of the world is what they used to be known as. And they travel to third world countries by waterway and they come to small villages and they build orphanages and hospitals and churches and all this stuff. And, Every once in a while, they do get in skirmishes with locals. And so they've been everywhere. The Kudo Misa itself is named after a boat that belonged to this organization, was captured by the Congolese army, and that the occupants of that boat were imprisoned for three months. They managed to escape. Nice. They scuttled the Kudo Misa, which is the nice. name of their – it's a small mm -hmm. boat. They scuttled the Kudo Misa, took the American flag off the bow, and they made it all back home. And they were taking medication out to cure river blindness in these people that were in the right. middle of the jungle. And so when the, the president of the organization came to me, he said, hey, we need a field knife for our guys to carry out there. Now, he's a longtime Walter Brand uh, right. customer. Now, Walter's knives have gone way up in value. Yep. And when he had approached us, we were just kind of budding knife makers starting mm -hmm. out. And he, he, he wanted us to give a shot at it. Mm -hmm. So we said, okay, so we designed this knife. He gave me some parameters. He told me what he wanted and I worked with it. And that's, that's how it came to be. So it is kind of a hybrid, heavy on the field, light on the tactical, but the tactical mm -hmm. presence is still in the room, right? Yep. With the double quillion, because these guys have gotten in fights with these guys before. Yeah, they, they so, yeah, there's absolutely a <coughs> type of requirements a little bit different than your just normal, normal bush knife. Bush but lore, you, can, you know? Yeah, but you can use the knife as a knife. 
absolutely you know, for, for which 90 percent of the time it's going to be for tasks and because it's so, such a useful design not the kudo misa but the, the specifically but the design concept you're gonna see it you're gonna see it in the bob loveless shoot knife and the mm -hmm. bob loveless shoot yeah. knife is the inspiration of the bark river sandstorm Am oh 100 no no that, sure. that's absolutely that's absolutely it is that uh, the loveless shoot knife was the inspiration for that um we changed the design a little bit. I mean, from the shoot knife, as you guys know, the shoot knife has a skinnier blade. Uh, the guard goes on from the front, and it is full tang with a taper. Right. The Bark River Sandstorm is a hidden tang knife. Right. With slabs and sl with slotted slabs, corbies, and a, and a, and a lanyard and a, and a lanyard tube for the back with uh, the same type of guard, same type of blade, and um, it's a it's different feeling, same kind of mentality that what Matt was talking about five six inch field knife tactical is still in the room. So it feels cool when when you're, it's you're holding it. It's got racy lines. It's got beautiful lines, and it's comfortable. Like not to not to brag on my own knife, but yep. it's it's a it's a knife that's similar to that Randall. Uh, um, I'm sorry, five. Randall five. Yeah, I was gonna say thirteen. Yeah. Like, that's not thirteen. Randall Randall five. You put it in your hand, and it comes alive. It the Sandstorm is my favorite knife that Bark River makes. Yeah, yeah, the, it's pretty the, high up there for the me most too. utilitarian knife that that we make in the ULB because I carry it every day, so I can't, I can't really get away from that. I'm not going to, but the nicest knife that we make. There you go. It's the sandstorm. There you go. For sure. And uh, we definitely get our inspiration from from, from level. So that's full admission. <laughs> full admission. We're we're like we're like we like that one. Let's do that. <laughs> Run with it. So we put our own flair on it and came out with it. And I'm really happy that we got back into it again because it had been ten years since we made it last time. It's been it's, a minute it's, for sure. It's been a, or a decade. Yeah, and it's better steel now. It used to be made out of twelve to twenty seven. Now oh. it's now it's CPM one fifty four. There you go. So perfect. Yahtzee. So, All right. Yeah. That's been Gronsdol. What's happening, Aspen? Uh, in your opinion, what's the best knife for the buck? All right, I've got two answers for this. Do you have any answers for this? How big is your buck? Okay, well, well no, well, I mean, let's let's say the, yeah, the sure. well, okay, that's that is a really good question, but mm -hmm. let's let's assume budget. Sure, let's assume budget. Budget. So if we're gonna go, uh, good, like, better, best, like good, okay. better, best, sub two hundred dollar, sub two hundred. Wow, that's a lot of knives actually for that. So, um, if you're going for a fixed blade, you should look at Mora's. Oh, good one! You I, you know, that Morris. wasn't even on my list, yeah. but that yeah. is a really yeah, good one. You should one. definitely look at Morris because yep. because you they're good knives. They're made out of good steel. You can sharpen them easily again, and if they break, you don't feel bad because you're out twelve dollars. Right. You know, and uh, you know, um, a buck is obviously another really good one to go to. Yep. The 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 buck one ten folder naturally. I mean, I mean um, what's the smaller one called? It's the one twelve. The one twelve. Okay. Yep. The one twelve. I mean, if you want a, a pocket carry, but still decent steel good heat treat so good they, geometry they maximize the heat treat on that 420 hc yeah, they, they maximize it. it it performs very very well for 420 hc um 35 bucks but he can't beat it. he can't beat no. that i mean like so so there you go um the switch of uh, victorinox yep victorinox uh, i think you were gonna go there right um so no but uh, yes and no so take it it so, doesn't hurt me at yeah, all it's 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 uh it's it's 420 right it's 420 isn't it uh, it's, it's, it's just as inox yeah <laughs> it's french for i don't think they so, ever tell anybody and i think right. the formula changes like generation uh -huh. to generation i don't okay. think they, they fair, i fair. don't think Let's, they read anybody into what steel so, they so it's so it's a mass-produced stainless steel that holds yep. an edge for a decent amount of time yep. um everything's 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 blanked everything's ready to go yes it's mass-produced but the thing is they made they make good parts and it's you know a quality knife for the price you Yahtzee. can't beat that right so i mean like if, if you don't have 90 bucks to spend or maybe it's more than that on a swiss tool I mean, but you have thirty bucks. Pick up an Alox. Yeah, pick up a, I mean, a Tinker. It, it has all the same tools, yeah, 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 except for except for this. Right, right. <laughs> so, if I if I was gonna break it down to the my favorite, you know, best bang for the buck, obviously the Falcon even S one um, is gonna be, or even the F one if you're in a more diminutive sure. blade. Yeah. Uh, no problem with that uh, as far as pocket knives go. 
Uh, I would say the Swiss Army knife. I like the Alox, but the excuse me, but the Tinker is really good too. Tinker is a great knife. Yeah. Uh, the Champion's really mm-hmm. good. You can, and you can find these for so cheap. You know what I mean? So uh, the Farmer, I think, is another one. Mm-hmm. That one's yep. a really killer blade too. Uh, the paramilitary one from Spyderco, if that's out of your budget, then I would mm-hmm. look at the Endura 4, although the Endura 4 and the Delica can kind of be uh, tailored to what you like as far as blade length, yep. but you're going to get the same mm-hmm. performance out of either one. <clears throat> Both are really high-performing, inexpensive knives. Uh, when it comes to the larger knives, I'm a huge fan of the SE Hunglas. That is that's a great knife. An inexpensive that one's a good one, yeah. bush knife that mm-hmm. really... Um, I, I'm a machete guy. I'll be completely honest in the jungle. I carried an Ontario 12 inch that I modified and that was my go-to bush knife. So, I mean, I use that in practical applications for a long time. Mm-hmm. It looks like it. I still have it. So if you have $20 <laughs> and you want like a killer chopper machete type, go get an Ontario, you know, 12 inch mm-hmm. machete and then make whatever adjustments to it because it's easy enough steel to work that it suits your ta- it take you tailor it to your needs right yeah um another one that i think is worth honorable mention is going to be the glock field knife that's a glock 79 and 81 if i'm not mistaken one of them has a saw back and one of them doesn't um you want to talk about some of the best 30 dollars i've ever spent like i have blown more than that on impulse buys walking through walmart and i absolutely <laughs> love my glock field knife that's another one that i fielded very aggressively over the years and had really good luck with it's a good thrower it's a good camp knife it's a good digging tool mm-hmm. it's it's got some tactical capabilities the same way a pencil does you right. know what i mean like you can do anything with <laughs> sure. it uh, it's really well made and really durable so if you were going to look at budget-minded best bang for your buck um it gets a little bit more subjective when you get into the higher end customs or semi-customs um, because a lot of that is in style and in brand culture and stuff like that but when you're talking about off the shelf uh what's a good knife to have that those are good knives absolutely um so <clears throat> let's see what do we have let's see talk about photography both do great such great work i appreciate that thank you oh, howard thank you. this is from howard borst any real tips on hiring a professional i'm short of hiring a professional oh short of yeah, hiring any, a professional. Any real that tips. is to be completely honest you need to get on a photography forum because yeah. it's um at least in our case we found what works but there's no real formula behind it especially for what we shoot yeah because because like because like you can find youtube tutorials you could find youtube tutorials all day for um for uh just like if you wanted to shoot flowers you could find youtube tutorials for that you can find youtube tutorials for uh shooting shooting landscapes or portraits or um, so what would be the most applicable it would be product photography and jewelry actually that's exactly what i was gonna say oh okay sorry that's exactly no 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 you're right no but you're no but you're right that's that's immediately where my brain went when you were talking about this is where where you could find tips for this you want to f- try to look for um tips on highly reflective surfaces and how to get definition without getting your own face and camera <laughs> in it and uh, not having not having a uh, um uh, lights blowing out but the first thing you should do is not jump right into those kind of advanced tips because legitimately they're kind of advanced if you don't know much about the camera that you have try learning about the camera that you have first there you go like look at video reviews um that that go over the capabilities of the camera what it can and can't do look at better cameras see if there's comparisons to find out what your limitations are now i say that because when you have a camera it's very important to know how far it can go and when you should stop looking oh right 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 like uh, you can't shoot 120 frames a second 1080p on a camera that doesn't do it right right so you should know it you should know what your dynamic range is i could go on and on about this because that's one of my passions right is, is, is camera photography but you should know what your dynamic range of your camera is you should know how much light to have in your scene you should know 
to know how to use a flash or maybe not. Maybe you like continuous lighting. There's a ton of information that you should go into about that. I am so, so much more bare knuckled than that. Like I said, I don't know <laughs> anything about cameras at all. Like I know absolutely zero. Uh, um, I do know that how a knife looks is very important oh, to absolutely. its presentation. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so if the knife looks like crap, then you need to adjust where you're shooting from so that the light highlights those grinds and those angles and those things that you want the customer or the potential customer, mm -hmm. the follower, the fan, or whatever you want to call it, yep. that you want them to see. Now, so now, something I think you do in photos instinctually, and I think Jenna does this too, is that you guys both you guys both have a mental list of what you want the, to show off on the knife. Yes. And, and you mentally prepare that list. And you can tell when people don't pre mentally prepare that list, they just put it on their bed sheet and they take a picture with their flash on and then they post it with their feet eBay, in it yeah, with their feet in it or like there's a, there's the tail of the cat as it ran by you know and then, and then but there will be enough. but so, there will be like a pistol shoehorned into the <laughs> shot and it's usually right next to the toaster and then the knife is sitting on it under fluorescent lights and there's crumbs on the counter um so just think about it i mean there oh, wait, wait, nope. oh, oh, I don't know what happened. Did I, almost, I, do, I, did almost, I click something? Nope, oh, you're okay. good. I almost hit my intro button. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, so, so maybe you need a yeah. reminder. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, but uh, yeah, so I there's just a lot of research, but most, um, so take Jim's advice on the technical side and that technical side will augment the artistic side. And then for the artistic side, just make sure that it looks good. And if it's not mm -hmm. looking good, then start changing variables. And there are plenty of them to change. So plenty. good luck with that. Uh, next one up is going to be from Andy Teal for the Andy both Teal. Let's Gansy. Jim and Matt, what is the single most important feature of a knife that money can't buy? Uh, That's like, an interesting like question. the tradition of a certain pattern, the history of a particular knife, admiration of a certain knife maker's work, etc. Well, that's an interesting question. I'm not quite sure how to tackle that one. No, what? Yeah. He'd be dropping bombs on us, man. Uh, let's see. <laughs> yeah. So the single most important feature of a knife that money can't buy. So I would say that this for me now, I, I didn't go buy a knife from Gil Hibben. I have not bought a knife directly from Walter Brand. I never had the opportunity to buy a knife from Bob Loveless. Mm -hmm. So to me, there isn't this chase the maker and acquire something of theirs in the here and now. Now that's really important to a lot of people. And I, I have nothing negative or even a reason why I'm not that way. I'm just not that way. So when it comes down to what are the things that money can't buy this, this money can't buy the experience between friends and family members who've been brought together in the knife world. And that moment where a knife changes hands between friends when you have those interactions that is the one thing that you cannot put a price tag on and to be quite honest 95 percent of my collection maybe 99 percent of my collection are every one of those knives associated with a personal experience i mean look i just talked about today this was my father's day gift and it wasn't just an arbitrary oh matt likes knives i'm gonna get matt a knife jenna knew that i wanted this knife um, really bad. And she didn't want me to get a used one. She wanted it to be special. So she went and talked to our friends over at Microtech. We know those guys a little bit and it was the last one like it. And she was able to score this for me. So there's an experience associated with it. That means that it is greater than the $180 or $250 or whatever it is that this knife cost that I could never be compensated for if I sold it. And that would be at a total loss. So I think the experience is my Thing that money can't buy and it's the thing that i hold dearest both in my heart 
and quite tangibly in my hand. That's what my collection is made up of uh, tokens of experiences. So that's, uh, yeah, that would be the thing. I want to give you an Oscar for that. Thank you. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to follow that up with Andy. I like knives too. <laughs> I, I I can't how do you follow that? That was really good. So <laughs> But I I agree. Yeah, it is it is. It's the it's the experience um that we all have together. You know? Yeah, I can't even I can't even quantify it. I mean, it was just like re, re, delete what I said, go back, listen to that again. Okay. <laughs> oh, good God. Thanks, Andy. All right. So for Matt Bells, I've seen you both do so much good work in the community of Knife Nuts. If you were to pick a charity together, what would it be? Well, Matt, to be, I mean, completely honest, we pick a lot of charities all the time. And sometimes they're individuals and sometimes they're organizations that we know the background on. If you had any idea how much work between our two camps gets donated. Now, quite obviously, you yeah. guys do a lot more. But we we say yes to everybody that walks in the door. Oh, I've I mean, seen we, it. We, I've we, seen we, it. We've, 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 yeah, it's, uh, I remember, I remember it was a it was a political post that i got gotten called out on you know on, and it was about charity and uh i got called out well i bet your company doesn't donate anything to anybody and i remember at the time oh, really? it was like 2014 and i'm like and i'm like oh yeah well i went to our online cloud service and i looked up what our what our charitable donations were and it was $22,000 you know just in different knives throughout the year different organizations and that's everything that's from uh, you donated a manager at walgreens <laughs> <laughs> this is Hal. This is Hal. He's, he's going like, to work for you. He's got his vest on and he walks out of the photo department. You're like, we're giving you this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah, no, we, uh, we, we, both Matt and I do as much good as we can. We like paying it forward. And we, and it's not, and it's not like, hey, and it's not, it's not bragging rights. No, because you don't make a big deal out of it rights. when you do it. No, no, we don't, don't don't even think about it. It's just it's just hey, we need this thing. We go okay. This here you go. I've seen and, your dad do it a and, bunch of times. Somebody will come in, ring in their hands, and be like, "We need money for the bake sale. Do you have anything you'd like to contribute?" And they come in, and it's a bunch <laughs> of school marms and dresses that are yeah. dragging on the ground. And they come mm -hmm. in, and your dad's like, uh, "Here." Have a parang. <laughs> he just, he pulls just, it off the shelf and he hands it to him. In yeah. fact, if you're in Mike's office uh, at a grinding or whatever, you, you'll yeah. know that there is a stack of boxes of knives. And you should also know that Bark River doesn't sell direct. So what yep. are those boxes there for? Those boxes get handed out to everybody who now you can't walk in and be like, yo, bro, where are the sandstorms at? Yeah. You never know what no. you're going to get. It's a mixed bag. These are mm -hmm. kind of extra knives, but those all go to charitable contributions. So um, what would we pick together? uh as many as we can help you know what i mean and yeah, it doesn't mean we can help everybody but it, you would be amazed at how many charitable contributions come out of the shops uh -huh. that don't get any press and that's just the way it goes yep now uh, let's see good brands of vintage scissors oh man yeah so oh, uh, that's definitely a you question chris sure. this is super embarrassing because um Mr. Hoffman, are we are we formal now? I said I said Chris. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming his gender. Okay, yeah. well, I mean, you got a fifty fifty <laughs> shot. <laughs> uh, what, what are some good? You know, I this is where I um, I dip my toe into the realm of the dilettante. I I or dilettante if you pronounce the e at the end, it goes both ways. Dilettante, uh, it, it really does. It's a yeah, weird word. Yeah. But uh, to be completely honest, I have even watched 
long videos of scissor makers that are multi-generational. I, I think I, you sat me down and showed me like a 20 minute video. I forced like that into Jim. I yeah, made him watch it. I was like, you watch this guy make scissors. It's unreal. He's like, I don't really to watch the video. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm like, all right, fine. All right, we're going to watch the scissor making. But honestly, yeah. I don't even remember his name. It's so, actually a really good video though. So I'm glad you is. showed it to me because it was cool. But I don't, I don't, I do not have any brand loyalty or even any brand knowledge. I mean, beyond Fiskars, that's where it drops off like a continental shelf. Like I have no idea. So thanks for asking the embarrassing question. I'm sorry. I couldn't be more help on that one. Uh, Jim, who we got next? Um, Actually the next one, Cameron Kyle, how long should a design be prototyped tested before deciding certain features should or shouldn't stay? Um, So, I don't know how to do this without seeming like I'm really just kind of patting ourselves on the back, but any do it, then go hard, then go oh. to 11 and be like, okay. you know why we're awesome is because we do this and like right, yell then. it. Well, let me answer let me this question you. for you, Cameron Kyle. Well, we don't need to prototype because everything is perfect. Day one. <laughs> First time, every First time, time every time. If I had a little twinkle for my right, smile, right. I would. Doing, but yeah. No, no, no. Um, it, it's a good question. So, um, I think the last knife that I truly prototyped that we didn't feel 100% confident in just moving forward on was actually our uh, Kalahari Bushman 2. The last knife that I actually, and the Marauder, of course, I, I, I prototyped the Marauder out because that was brand new. That was a brand new execution of brand new lines was the Marauder. And, right. uh, but, uh, but the Kalahari Bushman 2 was just like an enlarged version of the Kalahari Bushman. Do you remember that knife? Yep. So what no, we did, I think it's a sweet knife. Oh yeah, no, I love it. It's great. Um, I made one out of a granite blank. Oh, there and, you go. And uh, that was the last time I had actually prototyped something out of it. But I, but the um, question actually came up in the in our Facebook group, where somebody said, "Hey, this would look really cool." And Dad and I both kind of loved it so much that we both leapt on it. Dad went to the drawing board. I went right to the steel, and we both kind of met in the middle. And I was off by five percent from what dad had. oh really so and, you guys well, hit, I, hit the mark pretty yeah, close i understand how dad designs knives dad's still right. better at designing knives in his own style but um i especially but, if you ask him <laughs> 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 but uh but no we we, uh, we both came back with similar looking knives and uh, we changed the lines a little bit from uh, from what dad had to what i had excuse me and uh and um we I carried it for a couple of days. I tested it. I used it. I chamfered pins with it. Um, I, I uh, built a figure four trap. That's actually one of my staple things is that if I really feel like I need to use a knife to get a feel for it, I'll build a figure four trap. That'll tell you so much about how to use the knife. I mean, like try notching with try notching with a folder with flat titanium scales. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. it, it digs right into your hand. Oh, God, and, you're, yeah. and you're like, it's like holding a comb. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like right. Two combs separated with a stick. Right. You know, is basically what it is. Um, I mean, it'll, um, it'll, it'll tell you things that you would have never known had you not sat down and used So there, there's that in Jerobear's so, test, right? So if you, added, um, do you yeah, remember that was, uh, from back in the day? Yeah, where, no, we explained that. We talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. Right? It was, uh, and that was, that uh, was a really good test. You probably know more about the details than I do, but like, it's everything from cutting open the bag of charcoal to cutting open your steak packaging and using slicing just the meat. slicing the meat, cooking, starting your fire with the knife, getting all of your tinder and everything ready with that your your fire steel or however you're doing it, making a making a fire sled or or a bow or or, or a bow to to get it done. So I would say three days, mm -hmm. one knife, right? Yeah, and, and you should be able to get there. Yeah, now, you should be able to get it. And uh, and like the first test for me is picking it up in your hand. Yeah, I mean the first test. I mean that it sounds so basic. Like of course, Jim, you're gonna pick up the knife, duh. But you remember how we said just a few minutes ago that hey. As soon as you pick up a knife, it should come alive in your hand. 
The Randall Bottle 5 does that. The Sandstorm does that for me. The Kudomisa does it when I pick up Matt's Kudomisa. It should do that first. And I have knives that don't do that. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm like, well, I still got to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but you you um, if you don't have that initial feeling, you're not going to get as good of a result on the other remainder of the test. And you're actually not going to go back to the knife because you either have an intrinsic like it's almost like a soul matching yeah. kind of kind of a thing. You know, if you if you if you go for if yep. you go for that analogy. I do. Um you can you're going to you're going to pick it up and you're going to go for it right away and you're just going to perform better on those tests because you you instinctually want to because that knife just fits everything about the task and the purpose of you holding it perfectly. So yeah, there should so, be there should be that wow factor when you see mm -hmm. it, that wow factor when you pick it up mm -hmm. and then the wow factor when you use it and anywhere that you get this kind of mediocrity that make those adjustments be like man i really wish that i would have done this on this knife in three days you'll be able to know it i think we have time for one more yep. and then that's going to have to be a show because we are running over oh yeah um, look at that it actually looks, gives us a show running time yeah uh tyler uh, i'm going to make this super brief because the answer is pretty simple but it is going to take practice so tips for flat grinding a recurve oh this one's all you uh <laughs> tips for flat grinding a reef yeah. curve really have to do with the outer thirds of your platen so i'm going to use my phone to demonstrate um, this one in particular is hollow ground, but I've done a lot of these as flat. And I'm actually going to show you from a top-down view so that it makes sense. You're going to use that portion of the platen as you grind more than anything else. You're going to use the this edge or this edge, depending mm -hmm. on if you're doing reverse or obverse. You're going to use that portion. What that's going to do is it's going to translate this height line to this grind height line yep and that's what you're shooting for um if you try to come at it flat you're going to end up with the, oh it's cool the screen is actually giving it to us for us that <laughs> that dreaded two inch mark where you're going to start sniping the blade here you're going to end up with a lot of issues mm -hmm. so the trick is to really angle off the platen and only use the corner of it this is really hard on your belt um just get ready for that mm -hmm. uh but you'll be able to see results and don't get discouraged if it's 60 grit it's kind of wonky because you jump to that 120 and what i do this is just my personal method is every belt progression i try to tighten up the overall design you know what i mean so yep. but yep. that's so, how you, so so grind early yeah, right. grind early for every step and try to hit that very last the the very last vestige of your line on the very last belt exactly which is yeah. why i spent the last hour yeah. on a scandy edge because i feel retarded and, <laughs> I, and, but, and that's had an adventure with that today yeah, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah but that but that's how you're gonna get that kind of and this one looks like shit because it's all hand sanded wonky and stuff like that oh sorry yeah but uh <laughs> but yeah so that's how you're gonna get that sweeping line is by using that that last quarter of your platen on the edges and and kind of using your edge the other tip that I can give on this is make sure that your uh, I'm just pointing out on the table totally put my cigarette down uh, is is make sure this is nice and clean and I get that on a slack belt you know you can get it pretty mm -hmm. close and roughed in with a platen or a wheel I have a sneeze on board thank you um, tight. that's as good as they get um, <laughs> and so go ahead and rough it in with your platen or your wheel or whatever it is and then just make sure that it's like a, a soft transition tangential parabola I don't mm -hmm. know what the math is on it but make sure that that's a smooth transition with a slack belt get it to a 220 grit scribe your center lines and then start working it and you'll find that as you grind you know use your support finger and your thumb to support the work and then drag it along that portion of the platen and you will um, see how exactly what I'm talking about. And it will translate the same amount of distance. The other tip is scribe lines, man, cut to the line. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to cheat. And it's a great way for you to start developing the muscle memory. Because once you have a guideline, you know you're getting close. You know you need to let up pressure. Or you know you're way too far away. And you need to start really kicking on the horsepower. So I think that is our last question for the day. And yep. James, I think that is a podcast. I also think that that is a podcast. I think great questions, guys. We'll get to the rest of these 
in uh, in a future episode. So thank you guys for watching very much. I appreciate that. Um, and uh, just normal stuff from here on out. Make sure to hit that hit that subscribe button. Go to our YouTube channel, youtubecom blade. Subscribe there. Hit the bell for notifications because this is going up on YouTube very shortly. And tell your friends. So, tell your, tell friends, your friends, friends that we're awesome and you they need to turn in their ear That's holes. Right. Podcast listeners, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever you aggregate your podcasts because that's what everybody else goes to to aggregate their podcast was everything else i just said where i aggregate so... <laughs> my podcast at my own business so uh you guys have you guys have a great night hey thanks for listening if you like what you hear leave us a rating don't forget to subscribe we're on apple Podcasts, google play stitcher soundcloud and wherever you aggregate your podcasts Want to drop us a line? Got a question, concern, comment that you would like us to hear? Send it to info at BehindTheBladePodcast.com. Need more Behind the Blade? Subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash BehindTheBlade. Also, hit that subscribe button there as well, and don't forget to hit the little bell next to it so you get notified first whenever we make a brand new upload. And remember, when you have a knife, all life's problems become cheesecake.